You know, there's a lot of things about the Christmas story that are strange. Bethlehem, kind of like Pumpkin Center. Seriously, about the same size, about the same idea. Joseph, just a carpenter. Mary, just some young girl. Shepherds who came, wise men. Sure, they were wise men, but they came from afar. They weren't even locals. So many things about this story that just don't seem to fit the narrative that you and I would pick. And, and honestly, as we unwrap Christmas this year, there's a lot of things about the Christmas story that really don't fit how we would have done things. We would have changed some things if we were the ones making the call. But thank God, Brother Willie, we weren't the ones. Amen? Uh, who knows what we would have changed? And so as you think about the story... Um, there, there's some really odd things. And so this week has been an odd week in, in our life, in the, the church. It's been an odd week for many people. Um, if you look at the news, if you watch the news, you've seen some pretty horrible stories have happened this week. There was a young woman in New York, a college kid, stabbed to death. It was just a terrible thing. Um, people do things like at Christmas that are just horrible and, and really woeful actions. You know, you go every time you go shopping, you're scared that somebody's going to steal your credit card, right? You're like when they when you give it to them to slide it in the machine, you're like, I don't know if I really trust them or not. When you go to the gas pumps, you're you're always looking: is the little seal broken? Is anybody trying to pull a scam? Even this week here at our church, we tried someone tried to scam us again. They called the church and they pretended to be Pastor Corey, and they wanted to change his direct deposit account. They were going to steal his paycheck from the church. That's pretty low. It really is. It's pretty low. Um, we had somebody, and, and guys, I'm just going to make this as an appeal to you. If, you. if you want to give me something for Christmas, this would be a great gift. If you're here, if you have a key to the church and you unlock a door, lock it back. Somebody left a door unlocked at the church this week, and at 3.30 in the morning, someone decided to try that door. And they picked the door that was open, and they got in. And the alarm went off, and they left. And at 3.30 in the morning, I was down here with the police. <clears throat> It'd be a great gift. Lock the door, please. People do some horrible things, don't they? I mean, there's some people out there, and I, and I even said it to, to Miss Ann and to Corey both, that I would love to spend about five minutes in a room with that person that tried to scam the church without any cameras and without any witnesses. And I would love to tell you that my first thought was to tell them about Jesus. But really it was to introduce them to Jesus. Personally. It really bothers me, some of the things that happen. And I want to get, well, let's just be honest, I don't want to get even. I want to get ahead. I want some payback in those scenarios. And and there's a story in the, in the Christmas story that when you begin to unwrap all the things that happened, it, it ought to just absolutely turn your stomach and make you absolutely furious. And so if you know the story, you know that, that the wise men came from afar. That means long way away. That wasn't a fire. If you're from the south, you have to explain that. They come from afar. And so they came a long way away. And along the journey, they stopped and they talked to the king, right? You remember that? They talk, stopped and talked to Herod. 
and they found out where where the baby was to be born, where this king was to be born according to prophecy. And they went to go see the king. But in doing so, they kind of spilled the beans and Herod found out about what happened. And Herod got kind of upset, as we're going to find out in our passage. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now I want to give you full disclosure. Uh, this happens after the birth of Christ. Okay, so it's, this really ought to be the week after Christmas that we ought to be talking about this. But in, honestly, it could be as much as two years later. So we're not going to wait for two years. We just pretend this was two years ago. That, okay. Um, but, but it's part of the Christmas story. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, and then we're going to read verses 16 through 18. Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, and then verses 16 through 18. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word? It says, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Go down to verse 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, He became what? Very enraged. And he sent, and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the Magi. Let's pray. Father, even as I read this, my heart grieves. Lord, help us to have an understanding of what you want us to see from this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is a passage that has always caused great consternation for me. It's always made me angry. When I read it, I'd like to spend a few minutes, Brother Steve, with Herod in a room with no witnesses and no cameras. Two-year-old babies? Come on, seriously. He finds out that the Magi are not coming back, and instead of just saying, well, I guess I've got to figure out what to do. He sends his goons into Bethlehem, and any baby boy, two years old or younger, he kills them. Okay? Let's just put it as exactly. This is homicide, genocide. This is one of the most unbelievably heinous actions that could have ever taken place. So much so that it talks about how the city wept for their their loved ones. Now, Interestingly, when you read the secular textbooks, this doesn't even make Herod's top ten of bad things. Herod was such an evil person that this doesn't even stand out in the crowd. But he killed the babies, all the baby boys, in Bethlehem. Now that ought to get you riled up. Because ultimately what he was really trying to do was kill Jesus. Now, before we get too self-righteous and indignant, I want to tell you that Herod was no different from people today. He rebelled against God, and he thought he could beat God, so he did it his own way. He tried it his own way. There was the worst industrial accident in history occurred 34 years ago almost, April the 26th, 1986. 
at Chernobyl nuclear power plant in north central Ukraine, not very far from where Deanna and I both went to serve. The plant melted down. It was a nuclear power plant, and um, there was a huge explosion. And during that explosion, many, many people were killed. And there was actually a miniseries that came out not too long ago that went through it. If you watched it, it would just absolutely melt your heart. The basic story is this. There were some engineers that were operating the plant that missed the signs. They missed the warning signs. Something was going down and they didn't recognize and realize what was happening in time. And they kept going and they kept pushing forward. And in spite of the warnings that even popped up on six different computer systems that told them, stop, this is dangerous, don't go any further, each time the warning was disregarded. The end result was an explosion that we can't begin to imagine. 31 people were immediately killed, untold eventual deaths, 100 million curries, whatever that's a measurement of uh, radiation, were released into the atmosphere that circulated nation, uh, worldwide. It was 400 times more radioactive material than the bombing at Hiroshima. And really only time will tell the full destruction and damage from that event. We ministered to kids whose lives were changed as a result of that. Lost parents who were made orphans, who had birth defects as a result of the radiation exposure. Jerry Sutton, a Southern Baptist pastor and historian, in his book, The Way Back Home, wrote this, Often we are like those foolish engineers. We fail to heed the warning given to us by the Holy Spirit. Stop, danger, don't go any further. And as a result, there comes a point in our, time, in our life where our restlessness and our refusal to listen to the Spirit's warning leads us to cross the line from restlessness to rebellion. And so this morning, I want to point out some facts that you and I need to admit as we think about the woeful actions of Herod at Christmas. If you've got your little uh, uh, fill-in sheets, your inserts in your bulletin, your first answer on there is this. The fact is all sin is rebellion against God. And it's really easy for you and I to get on our moral, moral high horse and think, oh my goodness, I can't believe Herod killed all the babies, boys, two years and under in Bethlehem. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe that he went forward with that plan. And yet the reality is you and I, over and over in our own lives, miss the warning signs that God puts in front of us. That he tells us not to do things, to, to be aware that there's danger ahead, that if we go down this road, we're going to make a mistake. And if we make a mistake, it could be catastrophic for us or for others. Sometimes we see that in the, come out in the, in the form of someone texting on their phone while they're driving or drinking while they're driving. Or maybe we'll see a, a father who makes a decision that ends up destroying his family or a mother who makes a decision that ends up bringing untold pain and, and agony to her children. And those warning signs are clearly posted in our lives and yet we, we find ourselves willing to kind of push the envelope a little bit and to think, how far can I go until the consequences outweigh what I think I ought to get on the other side? And we play this weighing game in our minds that, 
well, I know that I shouldn't do it, but it really isn't as bad as some people. And because it's not as bad as some people, then I'm okay. But I want you to understand something from a scriptural perspective. All sin is a rebellion against God. It's saying to God, I'm going to do it my way. And so when Herod said to his advisors or to his soldiers, go and kill all those babies, what he was really saying was, I know that that's what God's plan is. How do we know that? Because the Magi's had come and told him what they were there for. He had consulted with those who were experts in the area. He knew that God was sending a new king, a king that was going to change the world. And he knew, knew that, and knowing what was right, he chose to do what was wrong. And now we could very easily be morally indignant and say, I would never do that. But how bad do you have to be to be sinning? You see, it all comes down to the question of rebellion against God. And for us, we don't like to consider ourselves like Herod. But the truth is we disobey and we miss the warning signs and we ignore them over and over and over again. That's our reality. But Herod is only tip of the proverbial iceberg. He's no different than many nations in the world today. And in practical terms, he's no different than many of us today who simply have chosen not to want God to rule over any area of our lives. And we say to him, yes, we want all your blessings. Yes, we desire your gifts. We want to experience the good things in life, but don't put any boundaries on us. And don't draw any lines that tell us how far we can go. Herod was the king. I mean, he had everything. He had servants, and he had palace guards, and he had advisors, and he had cooks, and he had ladies. He had maids. When he threw a party, he didn't have to worry about who was cleaning up. He knew. He never had to do laundry. He didn't fold his own clothes. He never took out the garbage, Karis. Not one time. Imagine what that was like. And that wasn't enough. And oh, how we are the same. Because ultimately we find ourselves rebelling against God's plan. We want to do things our way. We want to follow our desires. We want to make it our way. Interestingly, if you turn back to the book of Psalms, this should not come as a surprise to us. Psalm chapter 2. It's one of my favorite psalms. I remember when I was reading through the Bible the very first time, and I read Psalm chapter 2, And I could just picture this in my head. So I want you to try and do it with me. Psalm chapter 2, it says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, "Let Let us tear off their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. When you read this, you see these guys sitting there thinking, you know what? I know that God has rules. I know that God has a plan. I know that God has a desire for my life. But quite frankly, it doesn't fit what I want. 
And because it doesn't fit what I want, God, you stay over here and you do your thing and I'm going to do my thing. And at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. And that's a sad thought. But every time we choose to disobey God, that's what we're doing. We're telling God, you know, it's nice. I'm glad that you're here, but stay over there in the corner. And, and don't, don't come against me. In fact, it goes in this passage so far as to say in verse 2 that the kings of the earth take their stand. That's a military term that means to prepare for war. They're basically saying, you go there and you stay there, and if you come out of that corner, there's going to be trouble to God. And they're putting him aside, and they're saying, I don't want your interference in my life. You don't matter. And when you read it, it says against the Lord and against his anointed. The anointed there. The Greek word would be the same word that we have for Christos or Christ. It's literally saying they've taken their stand against God himself and against Jesus. And they're saying, in essence, we do not want God to rule over any part of us. You don't have a place here, God. You're not welcome in my life. You're not welcome in my community. You're not welcome in my culture. You're not welcome in my school. You're not welcome in my government. You're not welcome in my home. You're not welcome in my relationship. I'm going to do things my way. And you're going to have to live with it. Sound familiar? And this is the part that just I can picture in my mind. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. I could just picture God laughing. Do you know this is the only place in Scripture it talks about God laughing? I could just picture him. Great big belly laugh. I'm not talking like, <laughs> no. He's probably bowled over on his throne. I mean, just I, if my neck was all right, I, I would try and demonstrate. But you know that moment when you're laughing so hard, you're crying and you're, you, you, just do, you can't breathe, you can't catch your breath, your face is red. You, you know what it's like? God is sitting in heaven and he's laughing at them. And he's laughing at them. Why? Because they think that there's an area of their life that can be off limits to him. Guys, there are no areas of our life that can be off limits to God. And when you think that you're telling God, you stay over here in the corner, don't bother me, let me do what I want to do, God's sitting in heaven laughing at you. And he's not laughing at you in a vindictive sense. He's saying, oh, if you only knew. You see, I understand what you don't understand. I see what you don't see. I've been where you have never even thought about going. I am in the future. I am in the past, and I am in the present, and I know where you're going and what it's going to do. Parents, you know exactly what I mean. So we look at our kids and we see them about to make a decision and we know that if they move forward with what they're going to do, we know what the outcome is going to be and it doesn't matter how hard we try, we can't change that for them. If they make that choice, that is going to be the outcome. And it grieves our heart at the reality. God sits in heaven 
And it says he laughs at them. And the Lord scoffs at them. And he moves from laughter to scoffing. What does that mean? He goes from saying, <laughs> you just watch me. You just watch. You think that you're going to get away with this? That's what you really think? You think that my hand is limited? In verse 5, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, upon my holy mountain. So you think you can get away with it? You think you can tell God where he can be? Not only are you wrong, I've put him on the peak. <coughs> he is there to see all and to be all. And we get this indignation in our heart when we think about the sins of everyone else. But when, church, are we going to be indignant about the sin in our own lives when we realize, when are we going to realize that when we tell God, you can't be a part of this, we have done just the same thing that Herod has said. You can't be a part of this, God. If you get in, you're going to change, you're going to mess it up, God. James Boyce, who's one of Corey's favorite. Theologian. He wrote a series of commentaries on the book of Romans that we have. Romans has 16 chapters. He, his series is four, three, three, four volumes. And each book is about 500 pages. And Brother Willie, there are no pictures. Look at this. No, don't look at that. Siri. <laughs> Siri pops up, heard me say pictures. Listen to what James Boyce says. What is God's reaction to the haughty words of these pygmy human rulers? I love that. Pygmy human rulers. God doesn't tremble. He doesn't hide behind a vast celestial rampart, counting the enemy and calculating whether or not he has sufficient force to counter his new challenge to his kingdom. He doesn't even rise from where he's sitting. He simply laughs at these great imbeciles. Doesn't that sound like one of Pastor Corey's favorites? Pygmy rulers and imbeciles. See, the reality is how, how absolutely brazen of us to think that we could ever say to God, God, there are parts of our life that you can't be a part of. Stay out of it. You're not welcome in this part of my life, God. Yet that's what sin is. It's pushing God aside. It's saying to him, I'm going to do it my way and you think God's just going to roll over and play dead and say, oh, okay, I'm sorry. No. Throughout the Bible, there's warning after warning after warning about a coming time of God's day of judgment where His wrath will be displayed and God will reveal Himself to all of us and we don't want to face that time in rebellion against God. It's coming. His power and His greatness cannot be missed and people foolishly think that they can oppose God Romans chapter 1 says this the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and righteousness, because that which is known about God is evident for them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood though through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And that, brothers and sisters, is the reality. Sometime in the future, God will establish his anointed, his Messiah, his Christ, his King upon the throne to reign and rule forever. And we will be without excuse. Verse 6, as for me, I have installed my King upon Zion, my holy mountain. Then he goes on and he says in verses 7 through 9, I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall shatter them like earthenware. In those days, the kings would come in and they would conquer an area. And they would have their potters make pottery that they would have the names of the king and the names of the kingdom. That they would, and they would go in with their scepter and as a sign of their absolute authority, they would crush that pottery for everyone to see. And there is coming a day when all who stand in rebellion against God will face God not as a God of, ju- of peace and, and kindness and a baby in a manger, but as a God of judgment who will judge our sin. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but the Scriptures are. The Scriptures are trying to get your attention and help you to understand the truth behind our actions. Yes, Herod was absolutely horrible. Yes, it was a woeful thing for him to step into Bethlehem and to kill all the babies, the male children, two years and under. That was a terrible thing, but so is our sin. And so is our rebellion against God. And so is our decision to try and limit God's access to the areas of our life where we're comfortable with Him. God, it's okay as long as you're making me feel good about myself. God, it's okay as long as I'm encouraged and I'm uplifted. And and God, I'll serve you as long as things are going well in my life and I'm not hurting and my family's healthy and everything's fine. But the moment something comes up and it's not the way you want it and you push God away and you say, no, you can't be a part of this because I don't trust you anymore, you're rebelling against God and the judgment is going to come. Wow, this doesn't sound much like fun at Christmas. You remember that bag full of coal? See, today all we talk about are the presents. That bag full of coal was to remind us there is someone watching. Maybe you didn't get threatened with a bag full of coal. You were like me and you got a bag full of switches. You know what them switches were for, right? From judgment. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this verse... reads that he will rule them with a rod of iron. This won't be just a pretty scepter glowing with jewels and gold and fine metals. But this will be God's judgment as he stands before us. 
And in that moment, yeah, we'll recognize those woeful actions of our own. And we'll stand before him. And in Revelation 2, it says, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received my authority from my Father. So that at the, knee of Jesus, at the name of Jesus in Philippians 2, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ultimately, guys, here's where it is. A lot of things about what Herod did, I don't understand. A lot of things about what I do, I don't understand. But at the end of the day, Jesus is still Jesus. God is still God. No matter how I try and limit him, I will stand before him. And as I stand before him, the key is who will bow the knee. The answer is everyone. But the bigger question is who will bow the knee now? Who will answer him now? Who will honor him now? What are we waiting on? Psalm 2 continues, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He not become angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Herod chose to disobey. Herod chose to act in a way that was sinful and rebellious and horrible. What will you do? What will be your choice? What will be my choice? The most appropriate question is not why did Herod act so woefully, but it is why do we act so woefully? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we, as people in general, rage and rebel against God? God cannot be beaten. He is not going to go away. He is not going to hide in a corner. He is not going to cower from us. He is not going to change his mind and make an exception for us in the system that he's set up. He's not going to change the rules and give us a do-over. God has laid out clearly for us his plan and his expectation, and this is what it is. You will bow before Jesus. The only question is, will it be now? Or will it be later? What's going to be your choice? Revelation 22. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render unto every man according to what he has done. So my question to you is this. Are you living in rebellion or surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You might say, Pastor, you're trying to create a false moral equivalency. The things that I do wrong can't be equated to what Herod did in Bethlehem. I've never killed babies. I've never been responsible for the death of all of the babies of two years old and under in a city. That's not fair to say that I'm just as guilty before God as Herod is. That's not morally equivalent. Well, you're right. 
It's not morally equivalent, but the issue is not morally equivalent. The issue is spiritually equivalent. And at its nature, every sin is a sin of rebellion against God, and it's telling God, your opinion doesn't count. And if you think you're comfortable telling God what you believe about me is not important and it doesn't matter, and you want to gamble your future on that choice, I'm telling you this morning, that is a losing bet. And you're going to regret it. And so I'm calling you. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging with you. Do not set your heart against God like Herod did. But turn your heart to him and find peace in him. Find trust in him. Jesus' whole purpose for coming was to rescue you from your reality. Would you turn to him this morning? How can I do that, Pastor? Very simple. Very simple. Just tell him, God, I've messed it up. I've tried. I tried to put you in a box. I tried to push you away. I've tried to live my own life. I've ignored your ask in my life. I've ignored your requests. I've ignored everything you've brought to me. I've tried to be me in spite of who you are, and I have not given myself to you. But today, I realize that I need you. And I want to give you my all. You see, God doesn't ask you to do anything that you can't do. He just asks you to surrender and let him fix it. Let him finish it. If that's your heart this morning, I want to invite you to do that. How can you do that? In a moment, we're going to sing. Taylor's going to come up, and we're going to have a song. And I'm going to be standing here in the front. Pastor Corey's going to be here. One of our deacons will be here. And if that's your heart, that you, you want to turn your heart to Christ this morning, the one our choir sang about, the one Miss Sarah sang about, the one I've told you about, if you want to turn your heart to him this morning, would you just come up and take one of our hands and say that and let us show you in God's word what to do next. And we'll walk you through the process of surrendering your heart to Christ. You will never regret it. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, I ask that you do what only you can do in the lives of people. God, would you draw those whom you're calling? And Lord, as you draw them to yourself, would you bring them to a place of surrender to you? That today, Father, they would have life. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ, may we celebrate a rebirth in their heart of hope, of forgiveness, and of peace. In Jesus' name.